in part three of a series called Life Hacks. And a life hack is simply any action that solves a problem or simplifies a task or reduces some kind of frustration in your everyday life. And so the book of Proverbs is what we're studying, and that is God's Life Hacks manual. It contains practical, useful tips for everyday life, and it is the greatest by far the greatest how-to book ever written because it tackles the real how-tos and the most important how-tos. Now, the Hebrew sense of the word proverb is a comparison. So in some ways, the Hebrew term means the same as how we define it in English, and in some ways, it's a little uh, different. But a proverb is a comparison in the Hebrew language because these short statements teach us how to choose between bad and good options or even more important to choose sometimes between good and best options. That's really key. Proverbs are usually not written in paragraphs. There are a few exceptions at the beginning of the book, but in general, Proverbs are concise statements of truth. They are the one-liners of wisdom. They are knowledge in a nutshell. They are condensed common sense say to Beverly all the time, common sense is just not common anymore. Uh, so Proverbs are useful because they're condensed common sense. They're pictures worth pondering. And somebody once said, and maybe my favorite definition, a proverb is a, a short sentence based on long experience. In the book of Proverbs, the challenge here is that it can often feel very random. It's like just popcorn. It's bits of wisdom coming at us rapid fire. There doesn't seem to be any apparent pattern or plan, but, but brothers and sisters, this is because God knows that life comes at us every day in random order, rapid fire, without any apparent pattern or plan. None of us get to neatly package our day by dealing with marriage and family issues in the morning and then working on to work and career and money concerns in the afternoon and then methodically tackle our time management and our conversation and our morality problems in the evening. Life doesn't work that way. It's just always coming at you rapid fire. And that's how Proverbs works. That's how Proverbs is written because God knows that's how life happens. You see, every one of us, we live our daily lives if we're a child of God, we live our daily lives at the junction of the everyday and the extraordinary. We live every week at the intersection of answered prayers and unanswered questions. Every month that we exist on this planet, we live at the crossroads of our human pursuits and God's higher purpose. They come together. And let me tell you, it is in that territory of the ordinary that God speaks. He speaks in mundane moments. He speaks in the big messes. He speaks in the little miracles. He speaks in the good and the bad and the glad and the sad times all in our everyday lives, just exactly like the book of Proverbs does. Now, the Hebrew word for Proverbs is mashal. And in addition to its primary meaning of a comparison, it can also have another sense. So the main sense is there. A mashal, or a proverb, is a comparison in Hebrew. But it can also have the sense of a byword. Now, byword is a word that we don't use hardly anymore in English. But a byword, you can look it up in the dictionary. It's a person or a thing that's cited as an example or an embodiment of something. So you do not want to be a bad byword. You want to be a good byword. Uh, the, the, the point is that many Proverbs set before us a choice. And so that's why they're like a byword. Because depending on the direction you take and the decision that you make, your life is either going to serve as a wonderful example of the benefits of wisdom, or it's going to serve as a horrible illustration of the consequences of foolishness and rebellion. You're either going to be a byword, and people can quote you, you remember so-and-so, and by just saying your name, people think, oh, I don't want to end up like that. <laughs> or it can be the opposite. You know, we can name some elder saints and some pioneer preachers and you just say their name and you think prayer or you think faithfulness or you th 
And so they're a byword, and, and you want your life to be a wonderful example, not a horrible illustration. You really do. Uh, and, and then there's a third uh, meaning for the word mashal or proverb or comparison or byword or, or choice. There's, there's a third sense of meaning here in the Hebrew. And uh, the word mashal can also mean to rule or to have dominion. And, and see, it all flows together because when you come in, contra- in, in contact with God's wisdom... And he gives you a comparison. This is the wise thing to do. This is the foolish thing to do. This is the godly thing to do. This is the ungodly thing to do. When God gives you a proverb, a mashal, a comparison, then you have a choice to make. And your choice is going to turn you into an example of the consequences. It may not happen today or this week or even this year, but it will happen that you will become a byword. You'll become the result of your choice. And, and the reason for that is because mashal also means to rule or to have dominion. Because when you make a choice, you are relinquishing control of your life in one direction or another. For one decision or another. And, and literally, we understand this as Christians. When you make a choice, you're relinquishing control to one spirit or another. You're relinquishing control to God or you're relinquishing control to the devil. So, so your, your choices have consequences. Everybody's do. And, and so your choice actually selects who's going to rule your life, who's going to have dominion over you. So it's very important. It happened with Cain in the opening chapters of your Bible when God set before him a choice. And, and here's what God said. God had asked for a sacrifice And Cain had decided he was going to offer his own version of sacrifice. And God wasn't pleased. And then when God wasn't pleased, now Cain's unhappy. And Cain and God are having a little set to. And here's what God says to Cain in Genesis 4 verse 7. If you do us well, if you just obey, if you just submit, if you'd stop fighting and arguing and insisting on your own way, and if if you'd just work with me here, Cain, and obey me, you'd be accepted by me. You'd have the blessing of God on your life. But if you do not well, if you refuse and rebel and walk the other direction and you're stubborn and insistent on your own way, sin lieth at the door and unto thee shall be his desire. In other words, sin's going to catch you, grab you, prey on you, pounce on you, and thou shalt rule over him. And, And so that word rule, of course, is the word mashal. And that verse contains a pretty fascinating word picture. It's kind of buried in King James English, but sin is here a beast of prey. And it's crouched down and it's waiting to spring in a surprise attack. And so the choice is pretty obvious. Either sin will rule over Cain or Cain will rule over sin. And the choice is entirely his to make. And on that day, In Genesis chapter 4, at the beginning of human history, in the first family, because Cain made the wrong choice, he fell victim to sin, he came under its rule, Mashal, he came under its dominion, and his brother Abel died as a result, and sin kept on multiplying in the earth. And so King David, who you know is called a man after God's own heart, he's called that in the Old Testament, in the books of Samuel, he's called that in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. King David longs for God and his presence and his mercy. And and David's not perfect by any means. David, uh, he does terrible, awful things. and, And he makes horrible, consequential mistakes. But because he has this repentant spirit and because he keeps turning around and asking God for forgiveness and help, David's called a man after God's own heart. But see, David... He's not like so many people today. You know, they kind of get on the hamster wheel of, you know, sin and repent, sin and repent, sin and repent. David doesn't want that. He makes mistakes. He's not perfect. In fact, nobody's perfect. It might do you a world of good if you'd look at your neighbor right now and say, you are not perfect. I saw some couples, oh, they're enjoying that actually. You're not perfect. You know, You make mistakes. You fall, you fail, you're fickle, you're fragile sometimes, and you make mistakes. And so so the thing is that David, 
he felt those feelings. But he didn't want to stay there. He didn't want to live there. He didn't want that to become the pattern of his existence. He wanted to overcome it. He wanted to get beyond it. And, and, and so that's our desire. And so David, in his writing in the Psalms, when he's writing these beautiful, powerful songs to God, he warns against this very thing. Uh, falling prey to the hamster wheel of sin and repent, sin and repent. He says this, keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sin. You know what a presumptuous sin is when you think, well, I can just ask God to forgive me after. That is a presumptuous sin. That's dangerous. It's not dangerous because God will someday just pull the plug and say, I'll never forgive you again. That's not why it's dangerous. It's dangerous because it kills your sensitivity to God. It's dangerous because you have to climb back over all the ground you had already won and because you have to fight back through all the spirits you had already conquered and you have to refight all the battles that you'd already had victory over. That's why it's dangerous. Presumptuous sin. Well, I'll just do it and God can forgive me later. David said, no, I don't want to live that way. I don't want to exist on that hamster wheel of, of, of sin and repent, sin and repent. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion over me. That's that word, mashal, rule or dominion. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. What's the great transgression? The great transgression is when you get so far down that pathway, you get so used to the cycle of sin and repent, sin and repent, that just one day you decide to just hang out in sin a little longer and not repent. And you and I both know people that did that. They started sinning, but they'd always come back. They'd, they, they got in the, the live all week for the devil and come pray through on Sunday for God. And they got in that cycle, but then eventually, see, the devil hates your guts. The devil doesn't have any plan for you other than your eternal destruction. And the devil just kind of keeps pulling and tempting. And so, so the devil... He knows what he's doing, and finally they just kind of slip into the great transgression. It's destruction, maybe eternal destruction. The word dominion here in this verse, let them not have dominion over me, that's, of course, mashal, rule or dominion. David is praying, and he's asking God, help me make the right choice. Because I want to come under the rule of God and his word so that sin will not have the rule, the dominion over me. I do not want to make the same mistake that Cain made going down the wrong path. And David's prayer in the very next verse contains the daily solution that can help every one of us here make the right choice repeatedly. And here it is. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. If you get your thought life right and you get your words right, you're going to be okay every day. And so David said, I want to meditate on your word. I want the meditation of my heart to be acceptable in thy sight. You know, sometimes you just got to stop what you're doing and you just got to think about Jesus for a little while. Life is so busy. Life is so distracting. Can I just say what you're all thinking coming from work on a Wednesday night? Life is so tiring sometimes. You just feel exhausted. And it's when somebody gave me this years ago, the acronym HALT, HALT, H-A-L-T. When you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, or when you're tired, you're at risk of temptation. So HALT, when you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, when you're tired, HALT. You need to get your mind, the elders would say, Keep my mind stayed on Jesus. You just need to take a, a, a time out and you need to go and be with Jesus for a while. And if you can keep the meditation of your heart and the words of your mouth okay with God, you're going to be okay. The longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119. And it's all about the ministry of the word of God in the lives of God's people. Psalm 119 describes how the word 
enables us to grow in holiness and obedience. Psalm 119 tells us how the word enables us to handle the pressures and even the persecutions that sometimes accompany a true walk of faith. Nearly every verse in Psalm 119 contains a direct mention of the word of God. So Psalm 119 is literally, it's an amazing chapter, it's literally the word of God talking about the word of God. And probably one of the best known verses in all of that longest chapter of the Bible that, uh, is this verse, Psalm 119 and 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. A daily diet of God's word feeding into you and your spirit feeding back to God, that's necessary. It was necessary for the elders. And can I just say with all love and honor and respect, they had no idea about the sin that we would face in this generation. You know, some of us, we grew up pretty sheltered and thank God for it. But we got a rude awakening in the 21st century because sin refuses to be silent anymore. And, and so you need to get the word of God in you. Thy word have I hid in my heart. See, the word will convict and direct and, and, and the word will, will come back to you if you get it in your heart. And you'll be just about ready to head down that path or go that direction or make that choice. And your conscience knows it's wrong, but can I tell you, your conscience is pretty frail and fragile and fickle and it's like you are because it's your conscience. And so your conscience is not reliable when the devil is coming after you with all guns blazing. It's not reliable because your conscience will say, well, yeah, it's wrong, but I'll just repent later. And see, that's what David said. No, I don't want sin to have dominion over me. I want to keep myself from committing the great transgression. And so you need more than just your conscience talking to you. You need the word echoing in the chambers of your heart and your word bouncing around the, the, the synapses of your brain every once in a while. And the word will help you and strengthen you. It's amazing. So what you meditate on every day in your private thoughts, it eventually finds its way somehow into your public actions. It may not happen today or this week or this month, but it will happen. Your private thoughts eventually find their way into your public actions. But here's the thing. Submitting to the rulership and the authority of God's word and submitting to the rulership and the authority of God's wisdom that leads us away from the rulership and the bondage of sin. So these three uh, meanings here, it's all one word, mashal. It's all one word, but it has those three levels, those three layers of meaning. So, so here's how it works. This is the choice, the mashal, set before you. Who is going to rule mashal? Who's going to have dominion over your life? And that's exactly why meditating on the scripture even the book of Proverbs, which is also mashal, that's why it's important. You get that word. Proverbs is full of principles that will bless your life and strengthen your walk with God. And so you meditate on that and it gives you help when you need to make a choice. And the choice is going to result in who has dominion over you, who has rule over you. So this is all connected and it's very, very important. Now, there's a tension woven into the very fabric of the book of Proverbs. It's on every page. It's in every chapter. It's behind every verse. It's this major tension because there are two voices calling. They will not stop. They are increasingly insistent as the book unfolds. And these voices are often in Proverbs personified by two women, but they're known by different names. In one verse, it'll be wisdom and folly. In another verse, it will be righteousness and wickedness. In another chapter, it'll be diligent and slothful. In another place, upright and transgress. Or somewhere else, it's good and evil. But it's always these two forces, these two voices that are calling at you and pulling at you and, and, and wanting you to go in their way. But their mission never changes. No matter what you call them or what verse you see them in or what chapter you encounter them, their mission never changes. 
They are competing against each other for your attention. They are wanting you. They are inviting you. They are even tempting you, you could say, to, to walk down paths that lead in totally opposite directions. Neither of them will ever give up. And both of them have very convincing arguments. Wisdom and foolishness. Wisdom and folly. They both shout, come this way. Come over here. Come walk with me for a while. And they both declare, my way is the best way. My way is the only way. My way is the fulfilling way. Neither one of them will stop pulling at you. But they're very different forces. Wisdom builds people up while folly tears them down. Wisdom binds their lives together while folly picks and tears them apart. Now wisdom will correct them and discipline them, but folly insults them and hurts them and crushes them. Wisdom encourages them to walk the path of life. Folly is constantly enticing them to wander in the paths of death. And their voices never stop calling. I'm not talking about Proverbs anymore. I'm talking about you and your life and your day. And this week, they never stop calling. Wisdom pulls you one way. Folly pulls you another way. They never stop calling because the choices never stop coming. There's always choices to make. And your decision, brothers and sisters, will be critical. And it might just be eternal. The path you take, the choice you make, the way you walk, that's what matters. And folly's path calls to us in a thousand different voices every day. Folly foolishness, wickedness, sin, rebellion. It looks and sounds and seems appealing. But folly is calling to your flesh. And this is something that we ran across. We're reading through Proverbs, of course, every day. And this is something we ran across just this week in our reading a chapter a day in Proverbs. A couple of scriptures Twin scriptures, almost identical scriptures. This principle is so important that Solomon repeats it in almost exactly the same wording, which he doesn't do very often. And here it is. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That's chapter 14. Here's chapter 16. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It's identical. He seldom does that. He'll repeat ideas, but seldom does he repeat exact verbiage. But he wants you to get this. In the Hebrew language, many words having to do with direction, they're derived from parts of the body. If you say in the Hebrew uh, language, if you say something is at the head that means it's in a place of honor. If you say that something is at the hand, that signifies somebody coming to help you. They're at hand. And we still borrow that expression in English today. If you say at the feet, that indicates submission or even worship. And if you say at the face, that indicates relationship. Jacob, when he saw his estranged brother Esau coming back to him after years of, of being almost mortal enemies, he said, your face was like the face of God. You were at my face again, and you hadn't been for a long time. So whether you're saying at the head or at the feet, at the hand, at the face, they're, they're, they're all signifying something. That's how they, they speak in Hebrew. And in these verses, we don't see it in English, but it's there in the Hebrew. There's a Hebrew word, akarith. And akarith is the word end in both of those verses. The end thereof are the ways of death. But akarith means more than just the end of something. It means that which comes after. It means the result or the final consequences. It means the ultimate outcome of something. 
So with regard to the body, because in Hebrew they talk that way, at the head, at the hand, at the feet, at the face. With regard to the body, if you wanted to say akarith in English, you'd say at the back. With regard to the body, it's the back. That's akarith. It's the hinder parts. It's the part that you didn't expect. It's the part that's not immediately obvious. It's the part you did not see coming. So literally, what Solomon has written here is, this is the back of sin. He uses the word, the end of sin. That's how it's translated in English. But in Hebrew, he, he's saying, this is the back of sin. When you see somebody coming down the street at you, if you can see their face, you cannot see their back. Human beings aren't constructed any other way. And that's why one of the, the old classic kind of vaudeville jokes is for somebody to tape some crazy sign on somebody's back. Kick me or punch me or hit me. And they can't see it. So it's funny. It's a, it's a big joke because it's at the back and you can't see the back. But let me tell you, sin is not a joke. Rebellion is not a joke. And so what Solomon just told us in two twin verses is there's a way, there's a path, there's a choice that seems okay to your flesh. It seems like it's not that big a deal and it's not that harmful and it can't do much damage and you've done it before and you're still here and you've still survived and you're okay. And so he says there's a way, there's a path, there's a choice. We read about paths everywhere in Proverbs. There's a path that seems right to you. It seems good to you. It does not seem at all harmful to you. But he said, but if you could see the back of it, you can't see this part coming at you. This part may not appear to you've walked by it for weeks or months or even years. But when you get past it and you can finally see the end result, the ultimate outcome, when you can see the back of sin, when you can see the part that's not immediately obvious, when you can see the ultimate outcome, the end thereof, the back of it is the ways of death. It's not the path you set out to walk. It's not the path where you thought you'd find pleasure and fulfillment and fun and, and, and laughter and joy. It's not that path at all. That's just how it looked from the front. But the back of it is death and destruction and hurt and harm. Now, most people resist God's wisdom. Most people on this planet because the default of your flesh is not God's wisdom. The default of your flesh is folly. The default of your flesh is, is foolishness. And the other reason most people resist God's wisdom is because from our human vantage point, we can't see the back of sin. Sin looks so appealing from the front. But if you could see what comes after you would never take the first step down that path. The problem is you can't see someone's back when you're looking them in the face. And that is what temptation is that came to me this week. Temptation is the pretty face of sin. You look at it, it looks attractive, it looks appealing, it looks tempting. That's what temptation is. It's the pretty face. It's the front of sin. But behind that enticing tempting smile is a lifetime of regret and struggle and perhaps an eternity of loss and punishment. Now here's where the rubber meets the road in Proverbs and here's where the rubber meets the road in you living for God if you want to. You cannot see the back of sin. You cannot see the ultimate eternal consequences of sin. You cannot, just the same as I can't see your back when I'm looking you in the face, I can't see the end result of sin. So sometimes in my human mind, I question now, why would God make that rule? And why would God demand that kind of a standard of living or righteousness or godliness? Why? And I ask why, but see, I can't see the back of anything, spiritually speaking. But God, Isaiah the prophet said in 46 and 10 that God can see the end from the beginning. So God sees the whole picture. He sees the beauty and the blessing of a righteous life. And he sees the carnage and the consequences of sin. Now, we don't see that. Not for a long time. But every once in a while, 
we catch glimpses. When a precious saint of God goes to their heavenly reward, and we know that we know that we know that we know that because of the way they lived, they're okay. That's when we see the back of the life they lived. Or when somebody passes from this life and pastors are on pins and needles because we want to be comforting and we want to be kind and we want to say everything possible we can, but, but we're not sure. And it does happen because we watched their life unfold and we didn't see it at the beginning, but it became obvious and more obvious and more obvious as the years went by the direction they were walking and the consequences of it. But none of us can fully see the back of sin. Not like God does. He sees the beauty and the blessing of righteousness. You may not fully understand the life that God has called you to lead. You may not fully understand all the commandments of God's word. But here's what I will tell you about this Jesus. I trust him. I love him. I follow him. I obey him. I trust him that he knows the carnage and the consequences of sin. And so when he says, don't go there, I walk the other way. You see, we have to embrace his wisdom even when we don't fully understand his way. We have to choose his path. But here's the hard part. We've got to ignore the shrill voices of the world that continually ring in our ears. I know you're the Wednesday night Bible study crowd. You are the core of this church. You are the wonderful, wonderful, faithful saints of God. But I dare to stand up here tonight and talk to you about temptation and sin and the path because here's what I know. The devil never lets up. He never stops. Only God's path leads to life. His way is what you really want. His way is what everybody really wants if they could only see the back of it. But human beings aren't constructed to see the back of it. And because we can't see the end result, the ultimate outcome right now, we have to learn to walk by faith, not by sight. And we have to learn to pray this. And this is one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible. And it's also from that longest chapter in the Bible. And I pray it often. And there's a song that some choir did years ago. And when I'm all alone in a rental car, I sing this very often. It's not pretty, but I sing it anyway. But it's the words of this verse. And we have to learn to pray this and to live this and to ask God for this. A lot of times, earnest young people, sometimes Bible college students or young people will come running up after service. And it's kind of a fad now in Pentecost. I think it's wonderful. It's fine. Would you sign my Bible? You feel like Elvis or something. You know, yeah, I'll sign your Bible. Will you sign my Bible? I very seldom sign anybody's Bible because my signature is not that important. Just between you and me, I wouldn't take it to the bank. But I try to write the reference to this verse and hope they'll look it up and do it. It's a prayer. Order my steps in thy word and not, not, let not any iniquity have dominion, rule, control over me. Order my steps in your word. See, a lot of times, because I can't see the back of a decision... I'm not talking about rank sin versus, you know, serving God. I'm just talking about a daily decision. I don't know sometimes what is the best way to go. But that's a good prayer to pray. Order my steps. Not even just the big things, Jesus. The everyday steps. Order my steps. Whew, man, I feel the Holy Ghost in this Bible study. Order my steps in your word. Order my steps. Lead me, guide me every day. Order my steps in your word. My goodness. If you just give vent to whatever's brewing in your spirit because Jesus is here and 
I'm not going to be long, but I'd like you to just kind of give vent to what you're feeling in the Holy Ghost for a moment, and then we'll finish up. Order my steps in your word. Order my steps in your word, Jesus. Say, well, that's fine for you, Pastor Raymond. You've lived a pretty good life. Grew up in church. Got good parents. They taught you right. You were kind of sheltered, maybe protected. Maybe a little bit naive about the world. Come sit with me for a while. If I ever was naive, after 40 years of ministry, I ain't naive any longer, I'll tell you that. It's fine for you. you. You've had a blessed life, sheltered life, privileged life. I've made mistakes, Pastor Raymond. I've wrecked it. I've hurt myself and hurt others and fallen on my face. And I've walked down that wrong path so many times. What do I do? I've, I've heard the call of wisdom but there were days and weeks and even months and years that the voice of folly, the voice of foolishness and rebellion and sin was stronger and I walked that way. And I know what you've been teaching in this series that I know it for true, I know it for sure, that it is the direction of your walk and not the intention of your talk that determines the destiny of your soul. I know that for a fact because... I can talk a good religious game. I can talk a good church game. But I know that it's the direction of my walk that's my real life. Let me say two things to you. Number one, you have to choose your way every day. It's not a set it and forget it kind of thing. You've got to fight for this every day that you live or you're not going to win it. It's the end times, folks. It's the last days, brothers and sisters. The devil has come down to earth with great wrath knowing that his time is short. The devil is not your friend. He is playing for keeps. And if you want to win it, you've got to fight for it every day. You have got to choose your way Every day, not once a week, not on Sunday morning. You've got to choose your way every day. And you're going to need some help from God's word to choose wisely. And you're going to need some help from God's spirit to choose wisely. And you're going to need some brothers and sisters that are going the same direction to choose wisely. You're going to need some church services to help you get in God's spirit and marinate in his presence and choose wisely. You've got to choose your way every day. But the second thing I would say to you, my dear brother, my dear sister, if that's you and you've struggled, here's what I would say. God has a wonderful word in his word. If you've been walking that path of sin and destruction and rebellion and foolishness and bondage, and you say, I'm so far in it, I'm, I'm so enmeshed in it, God has a wonderful word for you. It's just a little word in English. It's not very big, but it's so powerful. And the word is repent. Turn your little self around. Point yourself in the other direction. And no matter how far you went down this road, start walking in the other direction because God can forgive. God can cleanse. God can restore. God can lift you up above that. God can break the shackles and the chains of bondage. God can set you free and give you peace and joy. You just got to do that one thing. Turn around and walk the other way. Proverbs 16 and 17. The highway of the upright sea is to depart from evil, to turn around. Why? Because he that keepeth his way, he that walks in the right direction, he's preserving his soul. And let me wind up here tonight. Proverbs chapter 16, a little bit earlier, verses 2 and 3. You've got to read both of them to get the whole context here. All the ways, the path, the choices, the direction, all the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. Not the truth. We all think that I know best what's right for me. I, I, I know better than God. I know better than anybody else. I can live my own life and make my own choices and, and I can do this and it's no big deal. It's nobody else's business. 
all the ways, the paths, the directions of a man are clean in his own eyes. But see, the Lord, he weighs the spirit. He knows what's really going on in your heart. With God, you can't fake it. And then he says this, and this is the solution, and this is the power, and this is the privilege. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Commit thy works. So you want to give every day. You want to give every decision. You want to give every part of your life to God. Commit your works to him, and then he'll help you in your mind. He'll help you in your spirit. He'll help you in your heart. Your thoughts will be established. And in our, our study of Proverbs, we've been going through every day, reading a chapter a day, and, and, and this came up this week, and it's so beautiful and powerful. The Hebrew word galal, which is translated commit right there in verse three, commit, galal, um, it means something that is rounded, uh, it means something that's circular. It means to roll something. And the same image, the very same image, and the very same application is found in the Psalms. And this scripture is more familiar to most of you if you're a Bible reader. Psalm chapter 37. Psalm 37 says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now watch this. Very same application, very same Hebrew expression. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. So commit, roll your way, your path, your choice, your decision. Literally in Hebrew, it's roll your way onto the Lord. Roll your works, your decisions unto the Lord. Proverbs instructs us. You got a brain, God gave you a good mind. You make your decisions, but then when you're making them, when you're heading down into whatever you, you've decided to do, you make sure that you roll it all into the hand of the Lord. Don't just do it on your own. That's a fool's errand at best. Roll your way, roll your works, roll your decision into the hand of the Lord and trust him to establish your decisions according to his will. I've told so many young uh, preachers, pastors, young leaders, young ministers, I've told so many of them that so many times when I did not know what to do and there were maybe two options and it wasn't choosing between sin and righteousness. You know what? I got a brain. I can figure that one out. But it was choosing between two good things. It was choosing between two directions and so many times in my life. In fact, I will say this to you, before every major decision that I've ever made in my spiritual life, I have prayed this prayer. Jesus, if this isn't right, I've tried to make the best decision I can. I've tried to use the mind that you gave me and I've tried to seek counsel and I've prayed and I've looked into your word and it comes down to two choices or three choices and, 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 and I'm trying to do your will and I'm trying to live for you and, and, and I'm going to make this choice, Jesus. And I've prayed this prayer so many times and I've prayed this prayer before every single major decision in my lifetime. Jesus, if this isn't right, block it. When you block it, if you block it, I will not be resentful. Even if it's my preferred option, I will not be resentful. Jesus, I'm not just giving you begrudging permission to shut that door. I'm asking you, please shut that door if it's not your will for me. Because I want to walk with you every day. And I want to walk in your will. And that's rolling your way onto the Lord. It's trying to make your best decision, but then just kind of giving it all to him. And, and, and when you roll something into somebody's hand, you think a little ball, you roll it into their hand or, 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 or you take a, a, a roll of dollar bills and you roll it into their hand. When you roll it into their hand, that means you have to let go of it with your hand. And that's the picture in Hebrew. God's way is not always my way. So when I roll my way, my decisions, my path, my choices, when I roll that onto him, when I roll that into his hand, that's when I have to trust him that his way is best. Sister Kathy, come on back, would you? In Joshua chapter 5 and verse 9, it's a, a story you can read it in that wonderful book in the Old Testament. In Joshua 5 and 9, we read about a place where a new generation of the Israelites 
they had to restore, they had to enter into an old covenant that they hadn't been living up to. And that covenant and that place where they entered it, they called the name of that place Gilgal. And at Gilgal, they made a fresh determination, they made a fresh dedication to follow the ways of the Lord at a place called Gilgal. And Gilgal comes from that same root word, galal, which means to roll, rounded, to roll something. Many years later, there would be another place in Israel called Galilee. And Galilee was a large body of water, kind of an inland sea, and it had towns all around it, galal. And they were nestled in rolling hills, Galal. And then even later, during Roman times, there would be a spot just outside Jerusalem where they put common criminals to death. And it would be called the place of the skull because that little outcropping of rock was rounded like a human skull, rounded Galal. And you know it as Galgalet or Golgotha or by its Latin name, Calvaria or Calvary. But that little lonely hill just outside the wall of the ancient city of Jerusalem comes from the same word, Galal, to roll. So when the psalmist says, roll your way unto the Lord, he, he makes it sound so easy and you say, but that's not always easy. But it's easy if you have the power of that word active in your life. Because, see, here, here's, here's the thing. It was at Gilgal, Galal, that the reproach of Egypt was rolled away from Israel. That's what the Bible says. That on that day, God said, I'm going to roll away the reproach of Egypt from off you because you've made a new dedication at Gilgal, Galal. And brothers and sisters, it was at Golgotha, Galal, that the reproach of sin was rolled away from our lives and it was all accomplished by a man from Galilee named Jesus Christ. And the picture bounces back and forth, New Testament to Old Testament, all the way from that place called Gilgal to that hill called Golgotha. It's the same power of God. If you'll roll your way onto me, I'll give you the power to overcome and I'll give you the power to break the chains and I'll give you the power to roll away the reproach from your life. It's really quite amazing to me. It's really quite amazing to me. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way, roll your way onto the Lord. Trust also in him. He will bring it to pass. You may feel like it's hopeless, but it's not. Not when Jesus gets involved. The end or the back the ultimate outcome of our daily decisions, it's not always apparent up front. In fact, I would argue that it's hardly ever apparent up front. We don't see the back of our decisions. We don't see the back of our submission. We don't see the back of our obedience. Neither do we see the back of rebellion or sin. We just can't see that far into the future because it's still coming at us every day and we can't see the back of it. We're not constructed that way. But we have a Savior who can see the end from the beginning. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is and was and is to come, the Almighty. He can see the end from the beginning every day of your life. The end, the back, isn't always apparent to us. And that's why every day, one of the great life hacks of Proverbs is that you need to start your day and end your day. You need to bathe every decision by committing it to the Lord. Do your best. Use your intelligence. Use counsel. 
do all of that. But when you finally think you've got the direction, don't forget the most important step. Roll it into his hand and say, Jesus, I need your wisdom and your guidance and your blessing. And if you'll commit your way to the Lord and roll your plans and your decisions and your future into his hands. It's not just Proverbs that promises that. The whole Bible will tell you that your life will be blessed. I thank you for your kind attention tonight. I would love it and Jesus would love it more than me if you'd lift up your hands and thank him for his word and, and just, just tell him that I want to do better at, at rolling my way into the hand of the Lord, rolling my burdens onto the shoulders of the Lord, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. Ah, uh, Oh, Jesus, I love you, God. I pray for your people. I pray for your children. I pray for those that are in this room and those that have been watching online tonight. I thank you, Jesus, for this powerful book that is in your book. I thank you for these powerful principles that inform us and enable us to walk with you. Jesus, I pray for somebody that's struggling that you would give them the strength I know they have to make the decision to turn it around, but I'm asking you to meet them right there at the point of their need, at the point of their decision and, and strengthen them. Jesus, somebody that's trying to make a decision, it's not sin and righteousness. It's two options or three options. It's a career choice. It's a, a family matter. It's a problem that perplexes their mind. Jesus, I pray that you'd help them through maybe this Bible study tonight to know that they can investigate all the options and they can weigh out all the possibilities and then they can make their very best decision. But Jesus, help them to remember, maybe from this little lesson tonight, to roll their way into your hand and let you do what only you can do. I pray your blessing on everybody that's part of this series with us, those that are here and those that are home and those that are far around the world, but they're joining us. I pray your blessing on your people tonight because we pray it in the highest and greatest name we know and the name that we love. Everybody say in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me? Sing hand in hand. We